Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. We found that there were three major myths that we really needed to dispel. The first one is that orphans in, in orphanages around the world have no parents. Actually, in reality, is 80% of the children living in institutional care have a living parent, many of which were placed there and relinquished because of poverty. The second myth that we're trying to address is that there are no orphans in the United States. That is just so not true. There are 420,000 children in foster care today, of which 100,000 will never go back to their families of origin and have been awarded custody of the states they live in. And they are our orphans. And the third and final myth is that there just is no solution. Unfortunately, supply and demand, there aren't enough parents that want these kids. And that's just not true. There are inspiring solutions. Welcome to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio with Gabe from Q. And today, Gabe, we want to look again at the issue of children who are in foster care or even orphaned. Certainly when you hear those words, you instantly have a few images. You're thinking about how many orphans are there in America, children who are parentless, children who don't have a way to be connected to family. Well, when you hear this conversation, you're going to start to get a new perspective on how could we look at this a little differently? How could we just change seats for a second and see it from a different direction? How can we better understand the plight of the orphan and what that looks like, not only in the U.S., but around the world? And what can we do about it? Yeah. And a lot of the time when we hear the term orphan, we might think of things like kids living in an orphanage, like Little Orphan Annie, among other misconceptions. To address this issue, like many others, we need to get to the root of these misconceptions, because if we don't know the reality of the situation, all our good intentions will likely not be helpful. In the second half of today's show, we'll try to think well through some of those myths and misconceptions around orphans. But before we look at the myths and the policy efforts to confront them, we still do need to have the right intentions in dealing with this issue. For that game, let's go back and listen again to a talk by your friend, Chris Kadaya. Remind us about him. Chris lives in the UK. He lives in Oxfordshire with his wife and, get this, seven children through both birth, fostering, and adoption. Chris is an incredible author, and he really brings like a fresh look on some of these difficult, awkward, and troubling Bible passages that talk about how God uses strangers to actually intervene in circumstances, to remind people of who he is and what he cares for. And in this talk, Chris does the same thing. He just reminds us simply of where God tends to show up uh, by speaking to this need of orphan care, of what it looks like to care for those children, many of which he's adopted and practiced this in his own community. So he's living this out from a place of conviction, from a place of this being true in his own life. And so I want to invite you in to listen now to Krish Kandaya talk about how we find God in unexpected places. It's 4.45 p.m. on a Friday afternoon, and the phone rings. It's social services. 
The office is closing in 15 minutes' time, and they are desperate. Chris, we know you've already got a foster placement with you, but could you possibly take another one? Okay, tell me a little bit more about this child. Well, we can't tell you much. All we can tell you is he's a biter. That is not what you want to hear. <laughs> biter. What does he bite? Does he bite stuff? I can cope with him biting stuff. We've got a cat. We've got all sorts of mess all over our furniture. I can cope with him biting stuff. But if he bites people, we're in a different frame, aren't we? I've got six other people that live in my house. Is it safe for me to bring this child into my home? And that's when the theological battle begins to kick off. Biter. That is an inadequate description of a human person, isn't it? You and I, we're more than the worst thing that we've ever done or the worst thing that's ever been done to us. Biter. That doesn't reflect the fact that this child is made in the image of God. And how I treat this child is a reflection of the way that I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And so in he came. We welcomed him into our home. He was three years old. His family were from Nigeria. He had had eight different homes already in his life. He could barely speak. Is it any wonder why he might bite just to let the world know that he's here and that he matters? When he lived with us, he bit a lot of stuff, mostly sausages and pizza. <laughs> But he turned our world upside down in all the best ways. This little boy challenged my definition of worship and my understanding of mission. The key verse that helps me understand what kind of worship God actually wants is James chapter 1, verse 27. Maybe you know it. True religion, true worship that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is a kicking worship band, an amazing organ recital, jazz vespers, beautiful, but not what God asks for. God said the worship that he's looking for is to care for the widow and orphan in their distress. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's the book of James. Martin Luther thought it was a, a book of straw. So what about the rest of Scripture? Isaiah chapter 1. I discovered recently there's more than one chapter in Isaiah. <laughs> Isaiah 53 was the only important bit, I thought. Isaiah chapter 1. God says to the church, stop your worship. Stop your meaningless gatherings. Stop lifting your hands up in prayer. Why? Because you've forgotten to contend the cause of the widow and the orphan. Isaiah 58, God says fasting is a waste of time if you're not sharing your food with the hungry and welcoming the stranger. Matthew 25, Jesus' clearest exposition of what the final judgment will be based on. Do you know what? It isn't a theological test. It isn't whether you came forward at the beginning of a Billy Graham event. The test of whether you're in the kingdom or not is whether you've received grace from God and then you've passed it on to the least and the last and the lost. And if you haven't, however well you sing, however many Bible verses you know, God says, away from me. I never knew you. That little boy changed my understanding of mission. I love it that the church is waking up to mission. 
30 years ago in the UK, many churches were just doing services for Christians. We were putting on um, preaching sessions and worship times, maybe a prayer meeting if you're lucky. Now our churches are opening their doors and we're welcoming the needy in. It's a brilliant move forward. But most of our engagement with the poor is to offer them a program. The poor are clients that come and receive counseling or food, and then we send them away. And our participation is to put ourselves on a rotor. Maybe for an hour or two a week, I do justice, I do mission. But I wonder, how many hours a week was Jesus doing justice and mission? Two hours on a rotor? No. For Jesus, doing justice was not a set of activities, it was an ontology. It was a way of being all the time. I meet amazing foster parents. When are they doing justice ministry? Is it at 2 a.m. in the morning when the baby won't go to sleep? Is it at 7.30 when you're trying to help a child that's been abused know that food is safe to eat? Is it 8.30 when you're at the school gate and you're trying to introduce a new child to the other children in the playground so they might play with them? Is it 11 o'clock in the morning when you get called to the head teacher's office because your child is acting up and you're a terrible parent? Yes, all of the above. Friends, we're called to another level of worship and another level of mission where we give ourselves to the poor. We welcome those that are in need into our homes as family. I love all my children the same. I have seven that live in my household. I don't say to those kids, hey, birth children, come down. You're the special ones. Poor children, you can come down for the second sitting. No, I love them all with a passion. And God calls us wherever we're able to open our hearts and our homes to those that are most in need, to get up close and personal, to love the poor as our families, not as a project. I believe if the church steps up on this, this can be a game changer for the way that we relate, firstly to vulnerable children. I believe in fostering and adoption, not because foster carers need money or because adopters need children. No, because we need to step up and be the parents that these children need. This is not about us getting what we want. It's about these kids getting what they need. So we can do it, friends. In America right now, there are 100,000 children in foster care that are ready to be adopted. It will not cost you a single cent to adopt them. All the legal fees are paid for by your government. 100,000, that's on us. The God that says, I want worship by care, caring for the widow and the orphan, he also sees those 100,000 children waiting for adoption. What does that say about us, the church? These children need homes. If we do it, we'll change their lives. Kids that age out of foster care, fall off a cliff. You see them again in your prisons. You see them again in your homeless populations. They are more vulnerable to sexual exploitation. We can make a difference. It'll be the hardest thing you ever do. It'll be the best thing you ever do. Friends, if we do this, I think we need at least one family per church in America to step forward for fostering and adoption, and we meet the need. That would change the church's worship. We offer God what he asked us to give him in the first place. But thirdly, it would change the way the nation thinks about you. Adoption and fostering is politically impeccable. You demonstrate a lived parable of the grace of God to those that are most needy. It's 11 minutes past four. I've left my phone on a train and a nice person has handed it in at the next station. So this three-year-old boy called the biter, he's never been on a train before. And so he comes with me and he does it all wrong. 
He's standing on the seat. He's got his nose pressed against the window. He's shouting everything he can see. Bus, tree, car, sheep, faster, faster, faster. All the commuters are kind of laughing at him. But they're loving this moment. And I'm having a God moment. I didn't meet God that day in church or in Jerusalem. I met him on a train carriage. As I saw this little boy that the world had dismissed as a biter, full of joy and energy and grace. And I want to sing, but I'm British, so I don't. But I remember <laughs> Zephaniah 3, 16 and 17. God rejoices over us with singing. And I want to take delight in this little boy because I know his story. And by the grace of God, I've had the opportunity to play just a small part. Friends, let's step up and give every child that needs it the home that they need. Oh, yeah. Again, that was a talk from a few years ago from Krish Kadaya here on Q Ideas. Gabe, I love Krish's heart and that call to take the care of orphans, not just as a duty, but as an act of worship of our God. With that right heart, let's also, as we often say here at Q, think well about the problem and from there work hard to advance good. And that brings us to our next talk, Gabe. The conversation and the talk and the interview that you're going to hear in just a moment is around something called the orphan myth. And it's a new perspective that Lindsay Hadley, the founder and CEO of Hadley Impact, as well as Ellie Oswald, who you're going to hear more from today at the Faith to Action Initiative, are guiding us to think differently and think well about what is happening with the orphan crisis. These two, along with several others, have created something called Orphan Myth. It is a 501c3 organization comprised of multiple NGOs, child advocacy specialists, influencers, faith leaders, businesses, and individuals dedicated to helping every child belong in a safe and loving family. And that's what you're going to hear in this conversation. How do we do that? How do we get there? We know the church has been strategic and has been focused on this issue now for many years. It's one of the reasons when the world looks at the church and says, what good is the church in my community? This is one of the ones that they point to. It's our concern for the orphan. It's our concern in the foster care movement. It's our concern to make sure every child has a family. So let's listen to this conversation and see how we can think well about orphans, adoption, and foster care. Thank you both for being here today. I just want to jump right in. Many people grew up in churches. Missionaries would come to, the, to our churches and tell us, we need your help. We need you to raise money to build an orphanage in our community. And yet the approach I think you guys are putting forward is maybe a little more innovative and different than that. Would you help us understand that? Yeah, thank you, Gabe, so much for the chance to talk about this. Orphan Myth is a meta campaign that we created. Think the Got Milk commercial for the milk industry, but for 30-plus organizations who are addressing orphan care through family-based solutions. So we actually were brought to address this issue because there was this huge gap in, in awareness and understanding about um, the best solutions, the best outcomes. And so we did focus group testing and we found that there were three major myths that we really needed to dispel. The first one is that orphans in, in orphanages around the world have no parents. Actually, in reality, as the video explained, 80% of the children living in institutional care have a living parent, many of which were placed there and relinquished because of poverty. The second myth that we're trying to address is that there are no orphans in the United States. That is just so not true. There are 420,000 children in foster care today, of which 100,000 will never go back to their families of origin and have been awarded custody of the states they live in. And there are orphans. 
they ultimately need our care they need to be find permanent loving families and the third and final myth is that there just is no solution unfortunately supply and demand there aren't enough parents that want these kids and that's just not true there are inspiring solutions we've brought our friend ellie from faith to action to talk about some of that ellie for 12 years faith to action has been talking to christians in the u.s about global orphan care and the number one myth is that they think orphanages are necessary, they're needed. You know, children are alone or completely unsafe in the reality around the world in the vast majority of countries is that's not true. Yeah. And I think what's helpful sometimes is to instead recognize that, that orphanages uh, exist not because children are orphans, but they exist because families are poor and they're struggling yeah. to care for their kids. And we can understand more the and have empathy more towards the parents who are making this impossible choice between caring for their child mm -hmm. and putting them in a place where they couldn't do that, but they'd have access to three meals a day. They'd have access to education and a future. And that's an impossible yeah. choice. It's a terrible choice. And a parent should never have to make it. Yeah, the 80% number, I mean, that's, that's enormous. And I don't think a lot of us understand that many children actually have parents that still are living. What are some of the alternatives to traditional orphanages? What are some of the creative solutions you're finding to help these children? The easy answer is families. You know, yeah. Families are the solution. Orphans don't need orphanages, orphans need families. And so, you know, decades of research really has recognized the value of family for the, just the development of a child. And at the same time, we have been learning over and over that orphanages aren't having the impact that we wanted for kids. They're not having the outcomes we want. And there's one study that recognized that for every three months a child is in an orphanage, they lose one month of development. Hmm. There's um, another more shocking study out of Russia that um, for adults who were raised in orphanages, one in three ended up homeless. One in five had some sort of criminal record. And really sadly, um, one in 10 had died from suicide. Adults who grew up in orphanages are telling us now. They're rising up and advocating for themselves. When I was there, I wanted family more than anything. Mm. And even as adults, I want family. And, you know, it's intuitive. We all get this. Like, yeah. if you're a parent or maybe there's someone that you love, your nephew, um, what would you want? If that parent, if you weren't able to care for that child, what would you want for that child? Yeah. You know, it's grandma, it's grandma, it's auntie. Eventually, maybe a Christian loving home. But we never get to orphanage. Mm. We never do. And so we know our kids need family families, all kids need families. So and I think that's important. What are some of the ways you've seen uh, churches get involved and, and be helpful? We know so many of the churches that have been a part of the Q community have, have really been proactive on this front, thinking about this in the U.S. system. But how are you guys seeing it? And, and what is the opportunity that maybe is presenting itself right now? Yeah, there's a growing movement of Christians that are involved and in pursuing family care. Um, but here's the reality, church the church has a huge influence on care for kids around the world. We always have. From the early days of the church, the church was bringing these children into their homes. But today, we're doing the same thing. There's going to be a study coming out from the Barna Group in a couple of weeks that estimates that U.S. Christians, you and I, individuals actually, not even foundations or major givers, are giving $3.3 billion a year to orphanages and children's home and other kind of group care. $3.3 billion every year. What if we transitioned that money to support kids and families? It's actually a perfect time for this change. It's an exciting time because 
um, what's going on in the world in 2019, right before um, COVID hit the United States, every country in the United Nations, which is all but two of the countries in the world, signed a commitment, a resolution that said, my country will prioritize family care and eliminate the use of institutional care in my country. Every, it's a huge deal. And so in some ways, this, this train has left the station. It's chugging down the tracks. Change is happening. Reform is happening. My question is, where is the church going to be on this train, right? Yeah. Are we going to be the caboose that's kind of holding back and dragging, dragging along, maybe holding on to the old models of care? Or what I believe and what I hope for is that the church can actually be, you know, the headlight of that train. Because we have a vision in scripture of, of uh, God's intention for family and creation. And we can be that, and that's my hope for the church. Lindsay, you've seen a lot of strategies and innovations and approaches, I mean, globally on so many different issues. On this particular issues, what are you seeing that's starting to move the needle? Well, that's why we started Orphan Myth. We realized that instead of having these organizations compete for attention, which often happens in the nonprofit sector, if we came together to espouse the same messaging and content at the same time, we could saturate the market and like a rising tide have all the boats come up. So just at the beginning of this last month, we launched the first public-facing campaign and we were able to garner over 200 million media impressions. We had features in major publications such as Forbes and People Magazine, CNN and Variety Magazine. I mean, and we're able to get ambassadors and influencers to join the movement. People like Lyric Ross from the show This Is Us, Ben Higgins from The Bachelor, people like Nelson Mandela's grandson, Kwaku, and dozens and dozens more. We've also seen faith leaders rise up to, on this issue. People like Bob Goff and Francis Chan and Nick Vujicic lending their platforms to say, hey, we're learning together. Come on a supporter journey. Let's do better together. What we know is that every movement that's ever been made that our society's benefited from takes the individual's enrolling and coming on that supporter journey. So really, we need all of you, and you are truly the solution. So please get involved. Well, the creative approach, and we've seen this happen with a few other movements where an, a, a convener like yourselves, organ, uh, Orphan Myth, comes along and helps these groups that are doing such great work, but they're not always lined up, and, and we don't always know what one another's doing, and it's less strategic. And it feels like where you're going with this is to try to create a way to just be more strategic. You know, we... we Time matters in this conversation. What are ways church leaders here, institutional leaders, people who are leading humanitarian organizations, what are ways they can be involved and connected with what you're doing? Yeah, thank you for saying that. You're so right. Redundancy and duplication is waste. And it, we know this intuitively that we're better together. We go further together. But oftentimes charities are competing and there's a scarcity mentality. So as a faith leader, check out things like the Faith to Action Network and the pledge you can sign. Come to orphanmyth.org, get involved, find out the 30 plus charities that are doing this great work that are getting families every day, into, you know, children into families through prevention, reunification or adoption. But ultimately, just realizing that some of our helping doesn't have the effects we really ultimately want, and we need to get more sophisticated. We can all do better together. Well, and I think it's important to say the moves that have happened to this point have been good. I mean, creating an orphanage so that kids had somewhere to go in, in the moment of crisis has been helpful. Parents adopting children. I've, I adopted a child from China that did, did not have a connection to a parent. And, and in the moment, that's the right thing. But... 
as time goes forward, you're seeing nations wake up and go, wait, we want these children to stay here. We want them to have parents and families that are indigenous to our nation to grow up in this culture. And so you are seeing these governments start to go, let's just see what we can do instead of sending all of our children off to, to keep them here. And so there is a thin line there of making sure that's done well, making sure they're cared for well. And so it's not that it's everything we've been doing is wrong as much as I see it as, hey, we can just keep taking it to the next level of where we've never been before. And I think we, that's a beautiful opportunity. We talk about um, when a family's in crisis or when a child's in crisis, they need options. And in so many of the communities, the option is the orphanage where they can get education or support. Yeah. But if we can, we can support systems and services that allow to, to be wraparound families. And the local church is the great place to yeah. do this. They're on the ground, engaging people, um, recognizing when they're in crisis and wrapping around them so that families can come through on the other side. It's yeah. just about redirecting even a percentage of the $3 billion going out the door into long-term warehousing of children and redirecting it into the ultimate solution we all know, which is that they need a family. Yeah. That again was Gabe's conversation from this past spring's Q Culture Summit with Lindsay Hadley and Ellie Oswald of Orphan Myth around the topic of better addressing the orphan issue, not just here in the U.S., but globally, and how the church can lead well in this area. And Gabe, I think it's our hope that after hearing from Lindsay and Ellie, it was helpful as we try to understand this orphan crisis better. But also the myth around orphans and how many of them do have families, many of them do have parents. How do we continue to connect children to parents. Orphan Myth wants to dispel that widely accepted myth about the orphan and foster care system. They want to educate others about best practice solutions, and they're doing this really well at orphanmyth.org. If you go there, you can actually watch their video that helps you better see and understand the current narrative around orphans and how they're dispelling it and how they're trying to help. You can also see the multiple organizations that have come together to partner on this. I always love it when I see organizations like Orphan Myth that are bringing together the best thinking, the best practices, sharing information, not concerned with who gets the credit, but saying we need to solve this problem. We can do more together. And that's what you're going to see at OrphanMyth.org. Well, this talk and many others are also available on the Q Media platform. You can have access to a free trial for 30 days through QIdeas.org slash trial. And that'll not only give you access to this talk, but many of the other talks that took place at our most recent Culture Summit in late April. Those are releasing every week more and more. Be somebody who, as you look even at your children, that you're committed to just how we're going to develop, disciple, help them grow into the types of men and women that are going to continue to contribute to the good in society and to flourishing because they're thinking well, they're staying curious, and they're advancing good. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.